Welcome everyone. This is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. I'm your host, Teresa Signorelli, and I'm going to talk to you today about fostering language and cognition in our kids and give you some tricks of the trade that we use in academic areas and speech pathologists use especially to get their uh, the children that they're working with to communicate more, to think more, to think critically, to think creatively. And um, I think you'll find it very fun. So I'll start first with an overview of uh, comprehension and expression. I always say that language is a two-way street, one where we're comprehending and listening, where information is coming in, and that's where we hear something, we see something, or we read something. And then there's the other side of the street, which is language expression. So that's the outgoing information that we're, we're producing. So maybe what we're saying, what we're gesturing, or what we're writing. So again, language is a two-way street. Information coming in, so that's what we're comprehending. And information going out, what we're expressing and sharing with other people. Now there are five components of language and they fall into three components. Those components are the form of language, the content of language, and the use or how we use language. So let's talk first about the different forms that language takes. First there are the, f the sounds that we create, we call this phonology. And those are the rules that tell us what sounds go together to make up words. This is something children are learning. Then we have morphology, those meaningful sound units like ED to mark past tense or ING to indicate there's an action ongoing. Again, these are things children are learning as they develop. Then there's syntax, which give us the rules of how we put phrases and sentences together. Those three aspects form the form of language, phonology, morphology, and syntax. Then we have the content of language, and that regards the component of semantics, which is meaning what things mean, either a word or a sentence or a phrase, that's something um, children are acquiring also. Then there's language use and the rules that determine how we use our language we call pragmatics. Things like when we interrupt in a conversation, how we change topic, how close we stand to a communication partner, the eye contact we make, things of that nature, how again, how we're using language, that's pragmatic. So those are the aspects of language that children are developing. And it's good for us to know what they are so that we can look for them and know what to foster and how. So there's a number of early concepts too that I think help in this conversation that children are learning and they're very functional. They see them and they use them in their day-to-day -day activities. And again, I think they're good to review here. So you see what types of concepts and words and experiences you could be providing and modeling for your kids. So some of these early concepts are things like open and closed, up and down, empty and full, clean and dirty, wet and dry, hot and cold, in and out, over and under, more or less, on and off, and the concept of help, where they're, they're making requests for help, and the concept of more, meaning you're requesting more, more cookies, more cereal, etc. So that's a little different from the more versus less, meaning you have more cookies and I have less, or really I have fewer. So these are the concepts that you're using and talking about, and that again, as we mentioned, content, the semantics and the meanings of language. Now I want to talk to you a little bit about 
early language functions and how we use language, those pragmatic functions. So there are a number of things we want to see children doing with language, especially by the time they're using one to two word utterances. We want to see them commenting. So they might say, I have juice. Or they might focus your attention something by saying juice or cookie. They might direct your action, asking you, pour juice. They may try to obtain an object. So you might hear them say, mommy, give me juice. They may also try to obtain a response from you. What is that, mommy? Or what is that, daddy? We also want to see them trying to get you to participate with, in an activity with them or invite you. So they might say, daddy, play. We also want to see them protesting or rejecting with language, saying no, juice, meaning they don't want juice, maybe they want milk or a cookie or something else. We also want to see them being emotive, using emotive language, where they might say no, juice, and you hear that angry tone, and you can tell that they're not uh, happy with the juice option. <laughs> then we also want to see them doing routine things, um, using routine language, and those are the those automatic phrases like please, thank you, uh, and things of those nature. Actually, like saying the alphabet is very rote and routine, things like that. So again, those are some of the things we want to see them doing. We also want to see them doing another function we think of as informing or reporting. And so that might regard um, items that are in the present or even not in the present. So a child might say, Ella Dolly, if she sees her sister's doll but the sister isn't there. So she's reporting to you some information about her sister or who that doll belongs to. Then as children get older there's there are more sophisticated types of communication that we call discourse and this includes things like conversations and narratives. So some of the functions we want to see children doing as they acquire more and more language, we want to see them responding to your questions, whether they be yes, no questions, like did you eat that cookie, uh, where they would answer yes or no, or WH questions, which are open-ended. So those WH questions begin with what, who, where, when. Those are more sophisticated. Um, let's see what else. Children, we also want to see them imitating part of what you say or all of what you say. That's another part. That's another language function in in um, in development that we would like to see. We want to see them affirming or acknowledging by saying uh-huh or yes or even nodding their heads. That's another function of language. We also want to see them negating either by shaking their head no or saying no. And we want to see them giving feedback meaning that they're indicating to you that they're following what you're saying. They might say, uh-huh, or do something else, again, that suggests that they're listening to you. They, if you, sit, you talk about getting your, their sweater or their coat and they go to get your coat and they nod their head, then you know that um, they were interpreting. They're giving you feedback. Then there's also repair. We want to see children and over time being able to let's see, um, maybe paraphrase um, language or request uh, to request clarification from a speaker. Maybe they didn't understand what you said, so they ask you in a different way, but they do something that keeps that conversation going. Then there's also topic initiation and turn-taking. 
where they know when they can start a con- or what they can do to start a conversation with you and then take turns back and forth. So they might say something to you like, hey, guess what? That's a way they can initiate conversation, for example. So that's just what I wanted to review with you regarding the aspects of language. So just quickly, that was language comprehension and expression. So what we're understanding and then what we are sharing with the world. We have the components of form, content, and use. So the form of the sounds and the grammar and syntax of the language and sounds that have meaning. And then there's the content or the meaning or semantics and then the use pragmatics. And we focus today on the content, the meaning. So those early concepts like up and down and in and out and hot and cold, those are things that you can be um, reinforcing in your in your little ones. And also we talked about the pragmatic language functions, how we use it, commenting, focusing attention, obtaining information, protesting, all those kinds of things. So we'll have other speakers on in the future who can go more in depth about these aspects to 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 highlight them to you and suggest other ways of enhancing them. But now what I wanted to do was talk about ways that you can create an environment where your child has to use language a little bit more and in creative ways to satisfy those wants and needs. These are those tricks of the trade that we use I had mentioned earlier and actually technically in our field in speech and language pathology and in language development we call it sabotaging and it sounds sounds bad but um, you're really not sabotaging your child but what you're doing is you manipulate the environment so that they have to think a little more, think a little more critically and creatively. They have to um, use verbal language or even gestures depending on where they are, but they have to do something, perform some act, and it gives them practice. And I think they're fun. So one of these sabotage techniques is where you pretend that you don't know what your child wants when they're asking. Uh, even though you may clearly know what they want, but you might, if um, if they're not asking, um, say they're asking by pointing and, and, and they're normally starting to use words and you want to coax a few more words out of them. You pretend you don't know what they want and you might shrug and say, huh? You know, what do you want? I don't understand, etc. And this might provide them the opportunity to then use the verbal language. Um, you could provide an absurd response. So perhaps when it's time to eat, Offer them something that's not edible. Uh, when it's hot outside, maybe give them their wool hat to wear. So these are also things that you want to do with children who you know would understand the absurdity of that. You might give them an, a non-desired item or something that they don't want. So if they point to a cookie, you might give them a potholder. And in any case, if they don't respond, then you can model for them. You might say the word a few times for them, um, articulating it nice and clearly, maybe pointing to your mouth and such, if your child is not readily producing those words. So let's talk about these types of uh, behaviors you can do in categories, and I'll give you some more examples of how you can respond. So first, let's talk about how we can manipulate the environment, how we can change the environment. You might put an object slightly out of reach, which might prompt them to have to ask for your help, to request assistance from you. You might hide or withhold an item that they need. So for example, you might give them cereal, um, in a bowl with some milk, but you don't give them the spoon and you say, okay, go ahead, eat your cereal. This would prompt them to have to ask you for the spoon. You might go to the closet to get your coat 
and it's not there as it might usually be and you can ask them where it is and then prompt them to go look for it and ask them maybe thinking about those early concepts we talked about ask them to go look for it in the in the bedroom under the bed on the chair using those concepts as I had mentioned earlier so they start to learn the real function of those words. You might place items in containers that they can't open. So they again have to make a request to, for you for assistance. What I also like to do um, is give them little bits of things at a time whether it's toys or food and I never want to withhold food but I think using food and toys are a good way to help prompt language out of our children. So for example, if you're giving them some goldfish, instead of giving them, if you would normally give them a fistful, for example, just give them a few. And then that creates an opportunity where they need to request more. And it gives an opportunity where you can then provide language. More? You want more goldfish? Okay, here's more. And maybe you count them out. One goldfish, two goldfish, three goldfish. Uh, fishes or what have you. <laughs> Either way, it's providing opportunities for you to engage, model language for them, and for them to use language to make requests or name and label the items and bring attention to what they need. Another thing you can do is to give them two choices, and I think it's really important here to limit the choices that you give. For example, you can say, do you want Oreos or chocolate chip cookies? Or do you want apples or bananas? So you're giving them a choice. It's limited so you don't go crazy having to try to cater to lots of different whims. But it gives them a choice, which is actually nice because it gives them a feeling of control and that they get to be active participants and in control of what happens in their own life, which is hard because kids so often don't get that opportunity. And um, you can prompt them as they may need to indicate um, a specific want and need. So say they just point to the banana. Instead of saying banana, you can say banana, banana. You can point maybe to your mouth and say banana. And you can say, okay, I'll give you banana. And then just give them maybe a quarter of the banana instead of the whole banana at once or the, a bigger amount like you might normally. Again, giving you an opportunity to engage in dialogue for you to model and for them to talk. So those are ways you can manipulate the environment. Then there's another category I like to talk about is, is them earning their keep, so to speak. And these are ideas for promoting language and teaching concepts, too. So I had mentioned before, um, when you give them goldfish, for example, or some kind of little snacks that are small, before you give it to them, wait until they look at you. And depending on, on where their communication skills are, if they're not verbal, wait until they look at you. Because then, once they do, then give it to them. That is going to indicate to them, it's going to show them that that eye contact is a form of communication. If um, maybe they are readily making eye contact with you, so don't give it to them until they reach for it. Um, or until they um, they jargon something or grunt something at you, or they if they're at the one word stage, wait until they use the words. Those are all different ways um, that you or by, by withholding onto the item before they make an indication that they want it. It's a nice way to show them that um, the, that they are able to use language to get their wants and needs satisfied. Um, another thing you can do is uh, put down the, the, 
the dinner plate and then tell them to start eating but not give them the food again creating an opportunity where they have to say hey ma you forgot the food you might hand them a cookie but don't let go of it until they say hey give me or please or thank you or and you can prompt them too. Um, and again, um, these are not things you want to do all the all the time, but use them here and get, again, uh, pepper it through your day here and there to get them to use language, to focus on communication, um, and it can make things a little bit uh, funner. So it is, it does make things fun. And there's another section um, I talk about um, among the when I talk about these types of behaviors for developing communication and critical thinking and um, conceptual development in our kids is being absurd as a bird. So uh, you might uh, pour them cereal but give them the wrong utensil or no utensil or start to hand them the vinegar instead of the milk. You might put start to put your clothes away in the fridge and then prompt them to say uh, to notice and say, "Hey, where does this go? This doesn't go here." And then they can help correct you and tell you where clothes really go. Um, you might it might be time to in winter time, for example, you might be getting ready to go out in the snow, so you pull out your bathing suit. Um, and this gives an opportunity for your kids to say, no, not bathing suits, and then say, well, what do we need? And they can talk about hats and gloves and scarves. Again, your children need to be at an age where they would understand this as being silly. Um, and if they're having trouble with that, you can then model what would be appropriate and talk about why you can't go outside in the cold in a bathing suit because it, it, you'd be too cold and you might catch a cold. You need to get warm and stay warm by having those warmer types of clothes like we just mentioned. You can pretend to lose things um, where they can help you find them. So, oh, I've lost my keys. And then you can ask them to look, um, again, bringing in those early concepts, those prepositions. Are they under the table? Then you can go look with them under the table. Are they in the cookie jar? You can look in the cookie jar. Are they on top of the TV? Then you go and look on top of the TV. Say the words and do the actions because performing all those together, saying it, feeling it, moving, that helps in that helps them learn those concepts and really internalize them so that they can use them independently in, in the future. And I, I like to say that that this is kind of silly science. And it's silly, but it is real. It's the real deal. And being silly helps things stand out. And it makes the, the interactions more rich and, and, and fun. And these richer, more fun experiences have multiple features, as I was just mentioning before, in terms of um, how they look, how things taste, the texture, movement, the emotional connection, and how they're feeling laughing because mommy or daddy are being silly that they tried to give me a um, sneaker to pour my cereal into. Um, so it, it just makes for happy, fun things. And again, you don't want to do this all through your day, but here and there, it really does make things fun. And it gets them thinking, thinking critically. Well, yeah, I don't, I shouldn't put vinegar in the cereal. What should I put? What would be appropriate? Um, and, I, and those, again, it makes things fun and it helps them learn. So um, another thing I wanted to mention was redundancy and variety and how these are both keys to learning. So we need, we need 
lots of we need to experience lots of new concepts repeatedly and enable for us to encode them into our longer term memory or into our knowledge so that's why you'll see inherently kids will ask to see the same book over and over or sing the same song over and over every time they do it they're getting something new out of it um, they're looking at it in a different way they're understanding it on a different level they're having an ability to practice maybe longer utterances as they try and sing that song or repeat the text from the book. So um, what I, I like to give different examples. So here, here's an example. Say you're working on um, your child's learning different what different animals are. So let's say the animal, the theme is, is animal vocabulary. You can have an art project, for example, where they might glue brown yard, brown yarn onto a picture of a dog or you might paint elbow macaroni and then glue it onto a cardboard cut out of a fish. So these, those are multi-sensory, they're feeling things, they're moving around, they're sequencing the steps, and you're talking about dogs, and you're talking about colors, and you're talking about glue and paste, so there's a lot that's going on. But it's still around the general theme of animal, animal vocabulary. So that's one, that's one aspect of teaching them and helping them understand and use that type of vocabulary. Then you can visit a zoo. You might take pictures of the animals you see there and you can make a photo collage when you come home and write the animals names under them. Um, then you could perhaps read books about animals or even dress up like animals. So here we're seeing the redundant theme of animal vocabulary but expressed in a variety of different ways and every different way helps them have a new experience while still revisiting an old experience which could be really nice for them. I'll give you another example of, of working on concepts like big and little for example. You could have the kids do an art project. Maybe you print out big and little circles. Um, using, I use PowerPoint for lots of things. Their clip art is wonderful. You can change the size of things. You can change the colors. So let's say you make, um, uh, you print out big and little shapes in PowerPoint. And um, you can have the children color in the big ones and then color in the little ones. You could even then cut them out and then repaste them onto cardboard or onto um, other colored paper. You might print out big and little paper dolls and they can color in the big shirt and the little shirt and the big pants and the little pants as you're talking to them about these sizes with familiar themes um, say um, clothing because they're they're gonna they're that's something that's also frequent in them in their in their in their day-to-day -day. you might then um, well, we were just talking about paper dolls and talking about the clothes on the paper dolls. Maybe you'll then have them help you sort the laundry. And you can put um, the big clothes separate from the little clothes. So you might say, Daddy's big shirt or Bria's little shirt. Daddy's big sock, Bria's little sock, like that. So again, there's the little redundancy in that theme, but you're having variety and doing that same theme in a different activity. 
you could make cookies, make a tray of little cookies and a tray of big cookies. Um, and that's really nice because there's the product of having the cookies at the end. You can even, just as you're walking around the, the neighborhood or walking through the store, you can point out items as you see them as big or little. Like, oh, there's a big car, there's a little car, or a big dog, or a little dog. And you can ask them too. You say, do, do, do you see a big car? Do you see a, a big dog or something to that effect. So now let's talk about a cueing hierarchy or ways that you can prompt your children in a way that helps them be as independent as possible. So you want to cue them, you want to prompt them in little steps. We want to try not to talk for them too much. We really want them to practice. So one thing that we can do is just to simply pause after we ask them something. Really give them time to respond. And um, there might be times where you don't understand what they say. Try and look at the context. Where is this happening? And you can then guess what they're probably saying. And then you give them little bits of information to help them actually say what they want. Let's see, for example, um, if you're in the kitchen and they're pointing to a bowl of fruit, you can say, oh, do you want the apple or the banana? So you're giving them a choice uh, and you've likely hit what they want. And maybe they point towards the banana. Then you can say, oh, banana, banana, you want the banana? That's one way that you can prompt them. Um, you can use what we call a closed sentence format. Uh, where you start the phrase and then you let them finish. So you say, oh, you want the, instead of saying banana, oh, you want the, and you stop. Um, and then they may say it. If they don't say it, then you can start to give them sound cues. So we call them phonemic cues. Um, but it's, essentially, you're giving them a little bit of a sound of the answer. So for example, um, you say, oh, you want the, and they don't say banana. So you say, oh, the ba, the banana the banana. So you give them a little bit of the word each time and then pause and see if they finish it. Um, and at the end of the day, if they don't, then say, oh, banana, banana, you want the banana. So you're providing models and you're withholding a little bit so that you're giving, you're giving them opportunities to try and articulate the answers on their own. Well, that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about for this section on fostering cognition and language in our kids. I do want to close by saying remembering that to remember that too much of a good thing could truly be sabotaging our kids. So let's not do this too much. I think, you know, here and there to keep things funny, to keep things engaged, uh, to keep the kids engaged is really nice. So um, use it in moderation. We don't want to overwhelm them or bombard them. And in terms of how we cue them, I've mentioned before, if you've listened, we have a, a formula where you want to say about one step above where your child is functioning. So if your child is nonverbal, the adult model should be maybe on the single word to sound level. If your child's at the one word level where they're expressing single words, your model should be one to two words. And if your child's at the two-word phrase, for example, then you can use longer phrases like three and, and four words. You want to be just a little bit above where they are. Working, we've mentioned before, in that zone of proximal development, a little bit harder than they can do on their own, and then you can give them cues to 
um, to be more expressive. So that is it. Thank you so much for listening. This is Kids A to Z with Dr. T. And if you have questions that you'd like us to address on the on the air, feel free to give us a shout and email info at kidsatoz.com. That's info at kidsatoz.com. Okay, thanks so much. Have a great day.